Welcome into T-Cube's Take. My name is Thomas T-Cube Manning. I'm here from Gardner-Webb University in Bowling Springs, North Carolina, WGWG.org. And we're going to, this is my first podcast with Brendan the Butler Boylan joining me over the phone from Flowery Branch, Georgia. And if you're not familiar with Brendan, he's been the guy that's kind of, he's pretty much been the sports guy here at WGWG for the past four years and he's a sports aficionado and he's on his way to gather to garnering a career in the broadcast industry so i'm here with brendan it's good to have you brendan hey man how the tables have turned uh you've been my guest for the last year and some change i'm your guest now so it's it's good to see you take over a podcast for yourself but i'm excited just to jump right in and talk about the nba finals oh yeah i appreciate you calling in i thought we would just first of all touch on of course the warriors three of the past four years they have won the nba finals and this year was probably the most dominant performance uh sweep which is very rare in the nba finals the first sweep since 2007 and interestingly enough lebron james was on the other was on the wrong side of that sweep as well as he was swept by the San Antonio Spurs. So this time we have the Golden State Warriors led by Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and Klay Thompson, among others, with the 4-0 four, four sweep in the best of seven series. And the first game was a lot closer than we expected. You could argue that the, Golden, that the Cleveland Cavaliers could very well have won that game. You saw right there at the end we had the controversial block charge call reversed where we thought LeBron James was going to have a charge called that he was going to be taking a charge but he we had the reversal so it ended up being a block Kevin Durant shoots the free throws and takes the lead and I think that was that was one of the big moments of the game what was your take on that Brennan? Well, watching it live, the first thing that came into my mind was I thought it was a little odd that at this point in the NBA and how officiating has changed and how the game itself has changed over the years that you could actually go back and look at the call. Now, from watching it the first time through, I thought that they got the call wrong. I thought that it should have been a block on LeBron, and people said, oh, but he had his you know, positioning and X, Y, and Z. But for somebody like me, when I grew up learning the game of basketball and playing the game of basketball, it was very simple. You had to have both feet planted uh, to be able to take a charge. In this case, yes, defensive positioning and all that silly stuff that's became a thing over the years, sure, LeBron had that, but you could clearly see that his right foot was still sliding over. So I think it was a good thing that they were able to look at the call, reverse the call. However, I'm not a big fan of the whole video replay thing in a lot of sports i think at times it's necessary um but for the most part i haven't liked it over the years whether it be baseball we've still seen a lot of calls in baseball that have been uh, changed or not changed that have been absolutely wrong we see in soccer with video replay and that now coming to the world cup here in uh, less than a week i don't know how that's going to work out so I wasn't a huge fan of being able to look at the call and reverse it, but I think they did get it right. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think video replay is really just cutting into the natural flow of the game. It's just, I think that's a reason. That's one of the reasons that we're seeing ratings go down is because 
it's it slows the pace of the game and it's not the natural product that we've seen over the years it's it's just elongating the game and almost making it less entertaining and I, but I do agree as well I, I think they got the call right with the reversal but I just think with video replay we need to it's it's definitely has its pros and cons but I think it's being taken a little too far up to this point uh but so after that charge or the block call on LeBron James so Kevin Durant and the Warriors they took a 1 point lead and I believe that was around 35 seconds left and so the Cavaliers are going down and George Hill draws a foul and he hits his first free throw his second free throw he can take the lead with it with less than 5 seconds left however he misses this free throw which game 1 of the NBA finals you're on the Warriors court the Warriors had the home court advantage I think this was the best opportunity for the Cavaliers to really make a series of it and really turn the tables. But George Hill misses that free throw. Yet they get the offensive rebound. They have four seconds to get up a shot. And J.R. Smith, just one of the, I would put it up there on the level of Chris Weber and the timeout technical foul when in the, was it 92 championship game between the Tar Heels and the, Fab Five, the Michigan Wolverines. They, of course, Chris Weber thought they had a timeout and they did not, and resulted basically in the end of their season and a national championship for their opponents. So we had J.R. Smith take the ball, and he seemingly forgot that the game was tied. He believed they had the lead, and he just was going to run out the clock, and that's exactly what happened. And you could see his teammates especially LeBron James were saying, you know, what are you doing, man? What are you, what's going on? Put up, put up a shot, but they were not able to. The game went overtime, and long story short, the Golden State Warriors just completely dominated overtime, end up winning by 10 points. So what was your take on J.R. Smith's blunder? Well, in the NBA Finals, especially – uh, I don't think you should ever forget the score. Now, Jr. said, obviously on the court reading his lips, he said, I thought we were ahead. Later on, he said um, something different that he did not think they were ahead, but never really gave an explanation on then why the ball was dribbled out. Um, it, it goes up there as an all-time blunder. It goes up there, like you said, with the Chris Webber. Um, it goes up there with Buckner in Game 6 of the 86 World Series. It goes up with, with all of those. However... I knew right then and there if the Warriors came out and played like they did in the overtime session. I was watching the game with a friend and actually said, watch, Golden State's going to dominate the overtime. That's exactly what they did. And right after that game, I knew that it was going to be a sweep, given if you go back and look at the social media and all that stuff, I did predict a sweep um, of the Cavaliers with Steph Curry winning the MVP. I was a little wrong there, but we're going to get into that. But I knew that that moment there, you said it best, was that was a huge opportunity for the Cavs to swing a series that a lot of people weren't putting them in. And one simple blunder ruined all that, and I believe it ultimately ruined the series because when you take a loss like that, it's one thing to lose in the NBA Finals. It's a one thing to lose an important game. It's another way to lose the game in that fashion. And honestly, I felt for J.R. Smith. Now you say, how do you feel for J.R. Smith? You didn't know the score. 
just the backlash that we saw over the next couple days. I know it's, it's going to die out, especially the fashion that they lost. But I really felt for J.R. Smith. and uh, Let's just put it this way. It was a J.R. Smith thing to do. He's kind of one of those shacked and a fool kind of a guys. And uh, you couldn't be more of a fool uh, on a stage like that. Oh, I completely agree. He was the king of the meme world, which is not a position that you want to be over the really over the course of the finals. And uh, it was, I laughed at a lot of them, but at the same time, it was just like, imagine being in his shoes and what he's feeling. And he's just one of those guys that he's going to, he's, he's a risk factor on your team. He's going to pull, crank out some threes and he can be an X factor, but then there are some times where he can just completely make a huge mistake like this and lose the game for him. So looking at well, a lot of the times it's like this with J.R. Smith. When he's hot, he's hot. When he's hot, he's one of the best players in the world uh, from three. And we've seen that. We've seen him crank out games where we're thinking, holy cow, when have we ever seen a guy shoot like this? Now, given we have Curry and all that stuff, but then you have games where he's 0 of 10 from the floor. And it's, it's really, which J.R. Smith are you going to get? You get a J.R. Smith that's going to go crank out you know, six, seven threes off the bench in a game and have a phenomenal game, or you can have a J.R. Smith who maybe goes one of 11 in a game and is just completely silent. Of course. Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about Malik Monk on our uh, on your, your show, The Butler's Pantry, in the past year, and similarities between him and possibly J.R. Smith is what is Malik Monk going to develop into for the Charlotte Hornets? Is he going to be... Uh, better than J.R. Smith, or is he going to be kind of that guy that comes in and gets really hot, and nailing threes, and provides a lot of energy, or with also the extra baggage of just kind of childish mistakes? Or is that what we're going to see with Malik Monk? Or are we going to see him develop into something greater than that? Always got to throw out the Hornets when we're on the show, don't we? Always. Of course, yeah. Got to represent the Charlotte Charlotte fans here. <laughs> So, moving on to game two, Stephen Curry had a record-setting performance with nine three-pointers. Uh, finals finals record, he was 9 of 17 from three, 33 points, eight assists, and seven rebounds. And that was just a dominant performance by the Warriors. Uh, the Cavaliers kind of hung around a little bit in the – they tried to hang around a little bit in the third quarter, but the Warriors, as they always do, they just kind of – go through a period of it's really just like a volcanic eruption to watch and it was just outstanding just I don't as I'm watching them I'm thinking to myself I've never seen a basketball team play like this before of course I've not been around as long as a lot of other people have and there's always the comparison to Michael Jordan's Bulls and the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq some of those dominant teams but as I'm watching the Warriors, I'm just completely blown away. I've never seen a team with four, pretty much all of their all-stars. You've got Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson, all guys of different sizes and different positions, but they can play all over the court. There is really no – they pretty much play positionless basketball is what I've heard it described as. And it's just very impressive to watch the incredible diversity that they have as a group and how they mesh together. Well, going to game three, 
it was interesting to see, you know, Draymond Green's always been a guy who you look at the stats and the points not always there, but you look at what else he can do for the team. In that game, he was 5-7-8 and eight on the night, almost played 40 minutes total. JaVale McGee had a really good game. He was perfect from the floor in game two. And, of course, you can't undermine what Steph Curry did, nine threes in that game, but he was 9-17. of 17. He took 26 shots in the game, but you forget about how many shots you take when you make that many and right after that, we we're all saying, oh, well, Curry's a locked finals MVP. Um, you also had Kevin Durant in that game, nine boards, seven assists, 26 points. And I think you described it perfectly there, my friend. It was positionless basketball, what they're able to do uh, on the floor together. It's just so much fun to watch, and that's why the Warriors have been such such the team that everyone's kind of a bandwagon on. Yes, they win a lot of games, but they're also very, very fun to watch. Um, you live in such a basketball society now where we're so used to the Steph Curry effect where there's just a lot of teams jacking up a lot of threes and people go, well, that's how you translate to wins. Let's look at the Warriors and what they've done. They shoot a lot of threes. That's how you win games. But it's, it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. It's not just the way that they shoot the ball. It's the way that they pass the ball. It's the movement off the ball. It's all these little things that get very lost uh, in, the, in the game if you're not looking looking for it, excuse me. And the Warriors over the years, especially since they added Kevin Durant, it's became more and more dynamic because you have one through five that can all handle the ball and essentially be point guards at whatever position they are. I mean, what a luxury is it to have not just your three, but also your four position players that can dribble the ball up court and start the flow of the offense because of what everybody else is able to do off the ball. You had Curry running off ball screens into the corner. You had Thompson, who's maybe one of the best catch-and-shoot players of all time, but certainly in the league today. And then you have a seven-foot guy who is arguably one of the greatest scorers in NBA history, and Kevin Durant. It's so much fun to watch, and that was an instance in a game where they win the game by nearly 20 points that you see why they're so up and above everybody else in the league, and Curry just topped it off in that performance. Yeah, and you mentioned Kevin Durant and just what he's meant to the Golden State Warriors since he came over. I think in Game 3, we really saw, really, it was a spitting image of last year's Game 3. Durant was just absolutely unreal. He had, of course, coming back to Cleveland, we were expecting Cleveland would have a shot to at least steal a game or possibly even tie up the series having two straight games in their home floor. And I think game three, as I mentioned, game three and game one were the best best two games of the series. And game three, Cleveland had they had a 16-point lead in the first half. And we were thinking, okay, yeah, so LeBron's just going to carry the team on his back and he's going to try to make up for game one and J.R. Smith's blunder and the reversed – block charge call and George Hill's missed free throw and so he's just gonna do what he can to make up for everything and carry the team on his back and that's certainly what it looked like LeBron had 33 uh 33 points 11 assists and 10 rebounds so a triple double which would he almost averaged a triple double throughout the series just an absolutely outstanding series for LeBron James but then we have of course in the third quarter Golden State's once again, they're just offensive eruption and even a down game by Steph Curry where he was 
he was pretty horrendous shooting the ball. He was one of ten. You had Kevin Durant just had one of the best performances of his career, I would say, looking at the stage that this is on. And you have in the last minute that pull-up three to give them a six-point lead, very similar to last year when he had a pull-up three in the final minute to give. And it was in game three of the finals against the Cavs. He had a pull-up three in the final minute to give the Warriors the lead over the Cavs. And this was that was the dagger that won the series last year. And this year it was the same, giving them the six-point lead. And the Cavaliers were just absolutely shocked that it had happened again. And they cannot overcome that in the the final minute. They tried to make a few runs. I think they got I believe they got to within four, but Golden State kept answering and just as a Cavaliers player, they just had to feel absolutely helpless helpless, especially if you're LeBron James knowing that you're doing everything you can and you're playing against four four of the best players in the world. And just seeing Durant's performance in game three was absolutely outstanding. What were your thoughts on that, Brennan? You know, I actually think that this game three opposed to last year was the real dagger shot for Kevin Durant, but I'm going to take it just a couple possessions before that 32-foot three from Durant. You said Curry was one of ten from downtown in that game. I look at the one three that Curry had in the game. It was in transition, a little bit of miscommunication by the Cavaliers. Curry makes the open shot, and that, I feel, was the real momentum swing in the fourth quarter of that game. And, of course, Durant, uh, capping off his 43-point performance with that huge shot, 43-13-7 to be exact. And this is the crazy thing, Thomas, is we just talked about how fun the Warriors are to watch. They share the ball. They make shots. You look at how this game went for Golden State. You have Curry, 11 points. Thompson, only 10 points. Draymond had 10. JaVale McGee actually had 10. I, I think JaVale McGee had a huge effect on the series and the limited amount of minutes he got every night. And you just look at the bench, and a lot of guys struggled from the floor off the bench. Iguodala only had eight. Bell had a good game, 10 points. Sean Livingston was four or five from the floor in that game. But your big four in Green, Curry, Thompson, and Durant, outside of Durant, the other three guys didn't play all that well. And this is where I start feeling for LeBron James. And I think the funny thing is his 51 point game in game one going to be completely forgotten about completely forgotten about this summer completely forgotten about uh in the time of the nba you're going to look back on this series and you're not going to remember a 51 point game from lebron james you're going to remember this 43 point performance from kevin durant in game three it's just one of those things where for lebron it's like what more do i have to do people say this is one of the worst teams he's ever brought to the finals i don't know if i quite agree with that I still think that 07 team was by far the worst team he's ever taken to the finals, but you go, you know what, we're at home, it's game three. What did you say when we first started talking about this was that game three, it was in Cleveland, LeBron's got to get a game in Cleveland. That's the only way the Cavs stay in the game. And they played the game really well, and you got good contribution from Rodney Hood in that game. Kevin Love had 20 points. LeBron, as you said, a triple-double. And as hard as it sounds, we have just came to expect that from LeBron in the NBA Finals. and you, you have all those things going for you. The Warriors are beating themselves. And remember, LeBron said that, that the Warriors were a lot like the Patriots. You knew they were going to have to beat themselves if you wanted to win a game. 
All that goes in your favor, and then Kevin Durant has a career high in terms of points in a playoff game. And at the end of game three, if I'm LeBron, I have to be thinking, what else do I have to do to win a game? I think this was so much more than just, oh, well, Curry had a bad game, LeBron couldn't close it out, Durant had a good game. It really showed how much better and more talented the Warriors were. And I know I just said that about game two, but LeBron in his press conference heading to game four following game three said it best was let's just face it. Essentially they're better than we are. They have more talent. And at the end of the day, we already saw the NBA finals. Let's all just be honest with ourselves for a second. We already saw the NBA finals. This, this series was not the NBA Finals. This was whoever won the Western Conference Final, which was our NBA Finals, had to just beat the Cavs so they can get the trophy. That Western Conference Finals was the best series we could have asked for. It's exactly what we wanted. We wanted that through seven games. And we all knew whoever got through was going to just steamroll this Cavs team and game three, I think, was that last blow. And, and I'll kind of transition us here into game four, is I was really disappointed in game four. Um, obviously, I'm a guy who I love Steph Curry. He's from the area. You know, went to Davidson, his dad being who his dad is, and up until this year was the Hornets' all-time leading scorer. You're a Curry fan. I've always liked Kevin Durant. Um, let's be honest, how many guys do we get who are seven feet tall that shoot the ball like that? Nobody. We've never seen that before. It's a once-in-a-generation type of talent. Oh, exactly. But, and you he, could make the argument if Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks, if he can work on his jump shot, then he could be like Durant. But from what we've seen, he's, he's still got a lot of work to do in that area. So it, it may be a long time before we see something like Kevin Durant again. Oh, exactly, and it was just one of these, you you wanted the game to be better. You wanted game four to be a good game, but it wasn't. You knew right from the jump in the first quarter that Golden State was being who Golden State is, and you look at LeBron's numbers in that game, they weren't bad, 7 of 13, 23 points. He was 9 of 11 from the charity stripe. It wasn't a bad game, but he was really passive in that game. I know he sat the last probably four and a half minutes as the game had already gotten out of hand. But it was so much more than the Cavs looking deflated. The Cavs didn't just look deflated. It looked like they gave up. And I think game one just took so much out of that team. And then the comments before game four from LeBron, like Golden State's essentially better than we are, I went into game four going, they're already mentally checked out. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think, right, I believe it was in the fourth quarter in uh, game four when Steph Curry, he had another outstanding performance, uh, seven threes in that game. But one of those threes he hit, he, the announcers were commenting on it. I think it was Mark Jackson that pointed out that it was a it was a corner three for Curry and it was an inbounds off of Durant and he inbounded it to Curry and Curry – had a wide-open look, and LeBron was in the paint and barely made an effort to get a hand in Curry's face. 
and it, you could just tell that that was that was not LeBron giving 100% effort. You've seen him make defensive plays in that position before where he very well could have contested that shot and altered it. But if you just give a lackadaisical effort like LeBron did in that instance, then Curry's going to drain that shot every time. That's exactly what he did. And you could tell in the fourth quarter that the Cavs, they just did not have it. They they were just completely deflated and ejected, and they really did not give their full effort. Even LeBron, we we look at his stat line, 23 points, 8 assists, and 7 rebounds. And you, I think for anybody, anybody would love to have a game like that in the finals, any average player. But for LeBron, you look at that, that's just kind of a mad game, you know. And just looking at that compared to his 51-8-8 game in the first game. And LeBron really needed to bring a lot more to his team in game four. And... It was it was very disappointing. I didn't expect I didn't expect the Cavaliers to come back and win the series, but I thought they might steal a game and make it interesting. Because we've seen if LeBron James is down three to one, we've seen what what he's done in that instance before, especially two years ago when he came back three one. They were not down three zero, but you thought maybe if he can get it at three one, who knows what we could see happen with LeBron, who is the greatest player of our generation. And it's just he didn't even have it in the tank to get it at a 3-1. Even last year in game four, the Cavaliers set all sorts of uh, finals records. Just I think they scored, what, like 70-something 70, 70 points in the first half and 49 in the first quarter last year of game game four because they were coming out, coming out firing and they were going to do everything they could to extend the series. And they did at least another game. But this year we just saw none of that spark, none of that fire. And we just saw a complete, uh, pretty much just completely give up performance from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, I think the one thing you have to remember going back to last year, the record-setting game you just alluded to, 26 threes for the Cavs in that game. What piece is missing from that team that wasn't there this year? Kyrie Irving. And I know that, I know everybody wants to now say, and it came up during the finals as an unnamed Cavs said that if Kyrie was on that team, there's no doubt they'd be up 3-0. Now, I don't know about that, but you have to ask yourself, how different would have this year been not just for the Cavs in the regular season, but also the playoffs? Remember, they had to play two game sevens in the playoffs. They had to come back from 3-2 to beat the Celtics in the conference finals, and the first-round series against the Pacers, where I really thought the Pacers were going to win the series. Um, how much different would it look if they had Kyrie Irving, if they had a point guard like that? George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, no disrespect to them. Both have had uh, good NBA careers, but they're not Kyrie Irving. They're not a five-time All-Star. They're not an NBA champion. They're not a rookie of the year. They're not a guy who hit the shot in the 2016 NBA Finals. How much different would it be? I don't know. Uh, I think it was kind of that kind of report, plus what LeBron said heading to game four, just told me this team's already mentally checked out. And then you have the report after all this that LeBron played three games essentially with a broken right hand. For me, okay. More power to you, more respect to you for playing through that kind of an injury. 
right? Of course. But to let people know after you've been swept, opposed to after game one saying, you know what, I did something dumb, uh, my anger got the best of me, I punched a whiteboard before overtime in game one, and I essentially broke my hand. That's one thing to say during the series. Now, I know you don't want to let the other team know, essentially, I'm playing with a broken hand, but if someone on the inside knew that, if it was, you know, like a Woj bomb that got reported, or if someone reported that, or at least knew about it, before the press conference at the end of the finals, it would be a lot different. But I think that was almost... You don't want to say this is a guy making an excuse for himself, but that's what it sounded like. It sounded like, oh, I got swept and I have a broken hand. Not, I broke my hand in game one. It was a dumb mistake. It didn't affect me that much, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. It was just really awkward timing for all that. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from, and I was talking talking to my dad about this, Noel Manning, and he he just kind of pointed out how how stupid it was for LeBron to play like that through a broken hand. Who knows what what more he could have done, what more structural damage he could have done. Even you noticed, I think it was either game three or game four, he fell on his hand and everybody was like, he's he was completely overreacting to that. And he didn't even fall that hard, and he braced his braced his fall with his hand. But that makes complete sense looking back at it now that that was probably the hand that was broken, and that's why he was having a lot of issues with it. But he could have—I'm not saying he could have ended his career playing with it, uh, but he definitely could have hurt his potential for next season. Who who knows if it had been he could have broken it even worse and it was just very uh you know I know you mentioned that it was it was almost like he was making an excuse I didn't quite see it that way but it was just a really bad situation all around for LeBron and he meant he said that the reason that he punched the whiteboard was because of the reversed foul call but I'm not buying that J.R. Smith's blunder didn't have anything to do with it Oh, yeah, for sure. I'll 100% agree with you there. You could see the frustration with LeBron after all that. And, of course, then the video came out of him asking, did we have a timeout? And one of the coaches saying, yes, we did have a timeout. And him, I'm going to make a bad comparison that people in the the Carolina area probably aren't going to like. He kind of had a Cam Newton-like reaction to that. Put the towel over his head, kind of leaned back, and was very upset about the call or not the call, but that he had a timeout. It was this whole deflated, defeated type of reaction from LeBron. And he broke his hand because of it, too. So looking back at the series, again, we're not going to remember LeBron's 51-point game. We're not going to remember the fact that LeBron led the entire finals in terms of points per game and total points. We're going to remember the fact that the Warriors blew out a Cavs team that might not have deserved to be there. Yeah, it, I'm as a Pacers fan, I think the Pacers very well should have won the first round 
series versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. They had multiple opportunities. They had the 2-1 lead, and they had a, had a very good chance to go up 3-1 to and just blew, blew that game. And even game seven, they were competitive. And still, of course, the Cavaliers just blew out the Raptors. You could argue the Raptors were the much better team, but it was kind of the LeBron psychological factor they're going up against LeBron. You could just tell how scared they were. And then in the Celtics series, the Celtics play. The Celtics were obviously the better team. And, of course, playing without Kyrie Irving and without Gordon Hayward, who they haven't had Gordon Hayward all season. But it's just imagining what could have been if you're a Celtics fan. But the Cavaliers, that was 100% LeBron carrying his team. And... The, the Yeah, there's no way that we should have had the Cavaliers in the finals, but they did. And this does this hurt LeBron James's legacy or does it help it being making it to eight straight finals, being three and six in the finals? I don't know. But what I do know is I don't think I've seen a team, seen a player carry his team like this in my life. No, and I mean, all the credit in the world. And we will forget about that, too. And that's the most disappointing thing. As someone who's not the biggest LeBron James fan um, in the world, to see what LeBron did to get to this point, and even though he got swept, we're not going to remember any of that. But you look, and you, you alluded to it, the two-game seven wins, the sweeping of Toronto, just most minutes in the league, 82 games played, just everything that he endured this season at 33 years of age in his 15th year in the league. Uh, it's remarkable, but I actually think it's going to hurt his legacy, and this is why. Is in any sport, what matters the most? It's it's not the individual statistics, it's not the accolades, it's what it's it's rings. And LeBron now has as many Finals losses as Jordan had Finals wins, and I think that's what's going to hurt him. Not saying that I think it should hurt him. Uh, I still think Jordan's the greatest of all time. If we want to just touch on that argument really quick, but. At the end of the day, LeBron is second. LeBron is the second greatest player of all time. But it's going to hurt the fact that you've been to nine finals and you have a 33% winning percentage. That's going to hurt him. Yeah, of course. I completely agree with you. And the LeBron James-Michael Jordan argument has pretty much dominated the sports media for the past really for the past couple months. It will continue throughout LeBron's career. We'll get into that at another time, I'm sure. But LeBron's free agency is probably going to be the biggest news of the offseason, and we'll definitely talk about that in the coming weeks. Uh, one last little tidbit I want to talk to you about. We can make it really quick because I know we're wrapping up. Curry or Durant, who deserved the MVP? Oh, it was, in my opinion, I think Curry deserved it. Uh Durant won it with his Game 3 performance, but I think overall the energy that Curry brought to the series was just when Curry's on, there's there's just a whole new energy flowing throughout the Golden State Warriors team. With Durant, it's more of just him individually. He's feeling it, but I don't think that energy translates to everybody else. But with Curry, it's just there's a different feel in the arena whenever he's nailing his threes and 
whenever he's making his passes and driving to the lane. And I, I do think I do think Curry deserved it. His game three performance was very poor, while Durant had a very strong game three, and I think that was a difference maker. But I think overall, Steph meant a lot more to the Warriors' finals victory than Durant. I'm with you on that. Like I said earlier in the show, I predicted a sweep, a Curry MVP. I got half of that right, and I really thought that I had the whole thing right until they actually announced who won the finals MVP. But if you look at it, Curry had 37 in the closeout game. Curry had the nine threes. The game three performance really hurt Steph. But you can't discredit Durant. You had that 43-point performance in game three. He also had a triple-double in the closeout game, uh, 20 points and then 10 assists and I want to say 11 rebounds. I don't know right off the top of my head. It's not in front of me. But you, I don't feel like you could have went wrong either way, but I really think, and I'm with you, Curry was more of a valuable performance, was more valuable to the Warriors, but you can't discredit what Durant was able to do. Yeah, so I think this, I don't know if this is going to be the last we see of the Warriors dynasty. I think Curry's definitely going to get another few shots at the NBA Finals MVP, but we'll see how it comes in the coming years. But once again, Brendan, I appreciate you tagging along and hope you have a great afternoon. And everyone else that's listening on T-Cube's Take, hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I'll keep it coming throughout the year. Thanks for listening.